come together to worship and to honor God. I uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, this past weekend, uh, some of you would know Margaret Holden. She was a member uh, here at the church for a lot of years, and she has been uh, fairly ill over the last couple of years, and she passed away this weekend. And there will be a funeral service for her Thursday at South Paris Baptist Church, uh, the visiting hours at 1 and the service at 2. So just for those of you who who knew her and those who did not, if you could be praying for the Holden family, uh, that would be great as that is going to be happening this week. Would you bow with me as we uh, come before God in a word of prayer this morning? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have uh, to open the Word of God and thank you that you are fighting for us and that we're not alone, uh, that we have one who goes before us, who makes a way for us, who provides everything that we need, that your promise to us is that your grace is sufficient for all that we face. I was reading this morning in the Word and uh, just being reminded that even in the middle of temptation, you promise to make a way out. And we're so thankful that you're a God who cares and supplies for every aspect of our heart and our life. And this morning, as we look into the Word of God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that your spirit would be free to touch our hearts. Father, as Christ followers, if there's something in our life that stops us from hearing from you, would you remind us of that this morning and help us to deal with that quickly and help us to make our lives an open book before you. We'll praise you for what you say to us this morning in your name. Amen. We're continuing through the Gospels this morning. And uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, end up in the Gospel of John. And so this morning, that's where we are. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be kind of scooting through the Gospel of John rather rapidly this morning, as we have with all of the books. The Gospel of John is one of those Gospels. I I like going back and rereading, and I, I like each of the Gospels. But the Gospel of John in particular, because it starts out kind of at the beginning of God. And it brings us to a point where we understand really who Christ is in relationship to the Godhead. It reminds me a lot of the book of Genesis because the book of Genesis starts us out in the beginning of mankind and helps us understand our position in relation to God. And we understand that we are created in the image of God and in the likeness of God, created perfectly Uh, before God, to have a relationship with God. And when we start the book of John, the feeling is a lot lot of that same feeling because what it does is it introduces us to who Jesus Christ is and the fact that he is equally God and that he came to earth to restore the relationship that we were created for. And so the book of John gives us a picture of Jesus Christ as God, linking Christ not only to God, but to the living Word of God. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he starts right out by saying it this way, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word there is the word Logos, and he's painting a picture of Christ being God and the very incarnate Word of God, and the two are one. 
He was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. So go back to Genesis and the spoken word of God of Jesus Christ really creates all things. And he makes all things come into existence. And the, the, the author here, the, the apostle John, brings all that together just immediately. He starts right out immediately going, look, Christ is God. And that's why I started that way this morning because John doesn't mince any words. He doesn't go, here, let me give you a little introduction and give you the kind of the genealogy. He just jumps right in and he says, look, Jesus Christ is God. There you go. Deal with it. It's <laughs> the way he does it. And not only is he God, but he's always been. This isn't something that just started. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John jumps right in, and he says, look, if you want life, this is the person you got to go to, Jesus Christ. He's God. He created all things. He's the one. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. And he, he establishes this again in John chapter 20 when he goes, he says this, but these things, the book of John, were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John chapter 20 verse 31. And so John is on it from the very beginning. Folks, it would be good for us as Christ followers to be equally on it. Often we kind of hint around that God, that Jesus Christ may be an important person, that Jesus Christ is love, that Jesus Christ, and no, the truth of the matter is this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is a member and he is God and it's through him that we have life and we have hope and we have forgiveness. And that is the picture that John wants us to get from the very beginning of the gospel. John tells the story of, Je of Jesus so clearly. He states that Jesus himself describes how Jesus himself describes himself. John 8, 58 says it this way. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. It wasn't just John saying this about God. It was the statement of Jesus himself. I am the one. There's no one else. It's me. Now, if you know much about the Gospels, you know that because of Jesus' statements that he makes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day get really ticked off. And they seek for ways to kill him. Why? They're threatened. And Jesus is making statements that in their idea, in their mind, he's equaling himself to God, which he was. And they're like, nobody can be that person. That's impossible. We're still waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus is looking at him saying, no, that's me. I am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who came to save. And so John goes on to give us 10 statements that Jesus makes about himself in the gospel. I'm doing this really quick, okay? This is an overview. We're going to get to a point in a minute. 10 statements that Jesus makes about himself throughout the gospel that kind of solidify who he is. He says this, I am the bread of life. You want to live? You need me. I am sent from God himself. 
I am the light of the world. I am God. I am the door, and the only way to get to the Father is through me. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. I am the Son of God, the Eternal One. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine that connects you to the Father, to God Himself. Those are the statements that Jesus makes, that John heard, that John identified. And John said, this is the statements of Jesus himself about who he was, what he was about, what he was here to do. He came on a mission, and that mission was to give himself so that we could have life, to restore a broken relationship between man and God himself. Jesus came as the Redeemer the Savior, the Messiah. And John makes it super clear. Look, this was this guy's purpose. He was on a mission and he completed his mission. And if you're here this morning and you've understood that and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in other words, you've come to a place where you knew that you were a sinner in need of a Savior and you understood that Jesus Christ was that one, is that one who saves, who restores, who forgives, who makes our relationship with him complete. If you've come to that place, then you know the freedom that comes from knowing Christ. And as Christ followers, what we do in that point of understanding our relationship with Jesus Christ is on a regular basis, we take communion. And communion is a reminder to us of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And the fact that Jesus Christ came as a little boy, but he didn't come just to be a human. He came on a mission of redemption and restoration, and he completed it for you and for me. And so it's only fitting at the beginning of the book of John that we pause for a moment and we say thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross and that he made a way of redemption for me to my heavenly father, to the one who created me. And so we're going to stop for a moment right now and we're going to say thank you by taking communion together. Let me read these scriptures from another one of the gospels from Matthew where where it set out for us what communion is and and what it looks like. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat it. This is my body. And then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And then he says this, and after they sung a hymn, they went out onto the Mount of Olives. Jesus says, look, I came for a very specific purpose, that my body would be broken, my blood would be shed, so that you could be restored and renewed in your relationship to your Father. Do you have that relationship? If you're a Christ follower, I invite you as the band leads us in a song, Only a Holy God, I invite you to go ahead and take that wafer that, that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ and that cup that represents his shed blood and say thank you for the redemption that comes through what Jesus Christ did for us. 
Go ahead. Through that, as God, He came to restore the relationship with the Father, and He did it completely. He gave up His rights as an equal member of the Godhead. And He humbled Himself to the obedience of the cross to pay the price for my sin. Thank you for that. Thank you that we get the opportunity to celebrate that as followers of Jesus. Remind us often of the price that was paid for us. Thank you so much. We worship you. We lift your name up. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You may have a seat. So Christ came as God. He established the fact right off at the very beginning. And John does that for us and reminds us of his person, of his place, of his position, of what he did for us on the cross. But then Jesus, throughout the Gospels, as he has in the rest of the Gospels, remember the Gospels are a story of all of the events of Jesus' life. And the end of John tells us that, that, that the authors could not write all of the things that Jesus did. The books, and maybe, maybe they're kind of putting it out there so we understand how great the works of Jesus were, but it says that if they had tried to write down the works of Jesus, that the, the world could not contain the books that would be written of what Jesus did. But the gospel writers paint a picture of Jesus Christ coming and living and walking and doing some major things that changed how people related to God. And so this morning, in the next few minutes, I want to help you to understand how much Jesus changed the way we relate to God and what's expected of us as Christ followers. See, often we look at becoming a Christ follower as, look, I understand that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. I understood from Scripture that I couldn't pay the price for my sin and that somebody had to do it for me. And Jesus Christ did it, and I'm thankful for the fact that he did it. And so I am willing to accept the fact that Jesus paid the price for me and now, woohoo, I'm on my way. And that's great. That is wonderful. And I'm excited about that. And I hope you are too. Please tell your face. I know you're really hot, but please let yourself, it's a happy, yes, that's a great thing. But here's what happens to us in the middle of that being a happy and joyous and an, an occasion of celebration, we also get very complacent and who we are in Jesus Christ. And Pastor Mike referred to that over the last two weeks. But Jesus does a great job of telling us, look, it's not a, just about coming to faith in him. It's not just about accepting the fact that we need a Savior. Now that gets us right with God. That puts us in a position that we are now right with God. And there's nothing that adds to our faith for God to accept us. It's by what he did on the cross. But our response to that has to be different. And that's what Jesus makes so clear. And John lays it out for us in the book of John. Jesus makes some major changes for the people in terms of how they relate to God. Let me show you a few of these throughout the book of John. If you have your Bible, John chapter 12, verses 23 to 26 say this. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you this, now catch this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. 
The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am there, my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, there's a couple of things going on in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is likely referring to the fact that he's going to the cross as one thing, the kernel of wheat dying. But he's also, if you read those verses in their context, he's referring to those who are following him. And he says this about them. Look, unless you as a life-giving kernel of wheat die to self, you won't produce any fruit. You'll be all about yourself. This was not the common notion of the day. And guess what? It's not the common notion of today either. We live our lives in a very free country. We're losing some of that, but we're still in a free country. And in living life in a free country, we do things our way when we want to affect us the way we want them to affect us. We are called individuals. And I like my individuality. And I like to live life my own way. And I want life to happen my way because it makes me happy. You say, and you're a pastor? Well, you are saying the same thing. I'm just up here and you're down there. We all feel the same way. Look at the way you lived your life this last week. Oh, yes, you probably had to go to work, but you went to work to get money, to make food, to buy food, to live life the way you wanted to live life. And you did other things this week that you wanted to do because they affect you in a good way, and it makes you happy to do them. Right? Oh, there were some things. Okay, some of you. There were some things you had to do this week that you really didn't enjoy. But the majority of the things, you made the choices for yourself to do the things that you wanted to do, right? Jesus looks at this whole thing and he says, I want to show you a different way. And he says, unless you're willing to come to the point where you're going to yield your life, that kernel of wheat, completely, wholeheartedly to me, and you're willing to go into the ground and you're willing to die to self, if you call yourself a Christ follower, then that means you're following me and you're here to serve me. And you'll die to your ambitions for the ambitions of God and the ambitions of the kingdom of God. Whoa! I thought it was just coming to know Jesus Christ because he paid the price for my sin. Jesus says, no, no. No, there's a cost to following me. And the cost is yielding yourself 100% to the person of Jesus Christ and the will of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. As you went through your week this week and you did all that good stuff that you enjoyed doing that you wanted to do for yourself, how much time and energy did you yield and give to the spirit and the person of God and say, God, your will, not mine? Hey, God, I'm at work today and I'm here to make a paycheck, but really I'm here to serve you first and foremost. Your will be done, not mine. Hey, God, there's some fun things that we could do as a family this week, and we could go and we could enjoy our time together. But God, in the middle of that, your will, not mine. Do you want me to, how do you want me to serve people? What do you want me to do in the middle of that? How do you want me to give my life for you today? Unless a kernel of wheat goes into the ground and dies to self, it cannot produce fruit. A follower of Jesus Christ must die to self. Do you see the change that Jesus is making here? It's not subtle, folks. It's in your face. 
And we skim over the passage. You know, yeah, that's a cool truth that Jesus... But it doesn't affect us on Monday or Sunday afternoon. Jesus says, look, are you willing to die to yourself for me? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How have you been dying to self? Is it evident in your family? Is it evident with the people that you spend most of your time with? Would they look at your life and say, that person is 100% sold out to Jesus? He does it in another way. Let me show you this one. A follower must also become a servant. John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. He says it this way, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And so he got up from supper, he seated with, the, seated with the disciples here, and he laid aside his outer clothing and he took a towel and he tied it around himself. And next, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel that was tied around him. Now, we've heard this talked about on many occasions if you've been in a church and, you, and you've heard, well, that's what a servant did. So it's a great sign of servant leadership. And yes, that is true, but there's more to it than that. This was an event that happened at the end of the day. It was part of their normal personal hygiene routine. And before you went to bed at night, Every home had it. They had bowls where you washed your feet. And if you were the master of the home, a servant washed your feet. Or if you were married, now gals, don't take offense to this, but in this culture, it was a sign of love that a wife would wash her husband's feet before he went to bed at night. And that wasn't, it wasn't something she was forced to do. It was just a sign of that relationship. It was also a sign that in that home, if you came into a home as a guest, that someone and may not have been a servant, it may have been a family member, would wash your feet and it would show how much they thought of you, the honor they gave you as you came into their home. So it was a natural part of their everyday life. Washing of feet, if you didn't wash your feet one day, they thought that you lacked personal hygiene, okay? It's kind of like us and deodorant and and uh, taking a shower, all right? It's the same idea. And so they looked after themselves by washing their feet. And Jesus goes with these disciples. It's not the end of the day necessarily. And he sits down with them and he puts on the towel and he bends down. And a couple things are being said here. One, he's saying this, look, I love you guys. I care about you. One, he's saying, you are my friends. You're close. We are close in relationship here. And he's also showing them the heart and the, the attitude of servanthood, of serving someone else, of caring for someone else. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, this is a huge change. The master, the teacher, the rabbi didn't wash people's feet. That wasn't what they did. Someone else did that. He was the guest of honor all the time, wherever he went. So someone else washed his feet. And Jesus is looking at these guys and he's like, look, if you're going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to die to self. You got to become that kernel of wheat that goes in the ground and is done with. And then you need to put the towel on and you need to serve those people that are around you. You need to think about this, that when Jesus serves these guys, one of those guys is going to betray him and he knows it. One of those guys is going to say that he doesn't know him anymore. They're all going to run away. 
And yet Jesus, knowing all of that, serves these guys wholeheartedly. He's willing to tell them, I love you, I care for you. And if you looked at verses 14 and 15 in chapter 13, you'd see that he says this to them. He says, see what the teacher does? I'm the teacher. Now you go and do the exact same thing. Now we don't have a culture of washing people's feet. I have never been in someone's home where they ask me to sit down and let me wash your feet. I don't know if you have. It has not happened to me. And if it did, I would probably think it's kind of strange and I don't know if I would go for it. I'm not sure. But we have all kinds of ways that we can serve other people within our culture. That we can care for those around us. That we can look for opportunities to serve and to care for and to humble ourselves before others to show them that we love them, that we're their friends, that we care, that we're here for them. Let me ask you a question about this week. What's your servanthood been like? How well have you served others? How often this week have you identified somebody who needed to be served and cared for and loved? Or were you in too much of a hurry? That's what I run into often in my own life. I'm in a hurry. Got to get things done. Got to get by. Got to keep going. And I miss opportunities to serve. How about you? Who is the last person that you intentionally served? I got to die to self. Totally different. Man, that's not normal. I got to serve everyone. That's, that's, that's not what we do, right? Jesus just changes everything. And then Jesus looks at them, and they were used to the law, and they were used to worshiping at this point in a synagogue and coming together and reading the, the Torah and, and spending time together and studying and pouring over the scriptures. And Jesus is about ready to change all that. If you look at, at John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15, he, he says it this way. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. What's he talking about here? Jesus is about to change the way that they interact with God the Father. Huge change. And what Jesus is talking about in this passage is, I'm about ready to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all things that are true. If you look at this passage closely, you'll notice this, that the Holy Spirit always leads people toward truth. If someone is telling you something that they heard from the Holy Spirit and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, guess what? It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's bad pizza. That's what's going on. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to truth. The Holy Spirit will always agree with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. They're always in agreement. The Holy Spirit will always point you back to Jesus. He will always, no matter what's going on, and we have all kinds of events that people talk about, it's the, it's the working or the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, and often in those events, it points back to a person. And that's not what the Holy Spirit does. He always points back to Jesus Christ. Look at those verses. That's what they tell us. The Holy Spirit points to truth 
points to the Word of God, points to the Father, points back to Jesus always. The Holy Spirit will continually declare the truth to me all the time, always. I have people ask me, how do I know if the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? Folks, the way you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you is whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you, go to the Word of God and it will line up always, always. And Jesus looks at this group of people and he says to them, he says, look, here's the major difference. You're not going to just worship in the synagogue. You're not going to just look at the scriptures anymore. The Holy Spirit is going to help you to understand those scriptures. He's going to open your eyes. He's going to speak to you. He's going to speak to your heart. He's going to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ to you. Believer, when you're in the Word of God, when you're reading the Word of God, when you're studying the Word of God, is the Holy Spirit unveiling the truth to you? Or does it feel like you have scales on and you don't understand? Christ follower, if you're at a point where it feels like when you read the word of God, you're not hearing from God, the Holy Spirit is not revealing truth and you need to get on your knees and you need to ask God what's between the two of you. Because the Holy Spirit will not speak in the middle of our sin. He'll convict us of our sin. He'll convince us of our sin and he'll point us back to Jesus all the time. Jesus is making a huge change here, folks, for people. The Holy Spirit will come. And here's the thing. After Christ's death and resurrection, guess what he gave them? Let me read it. John chapter 20. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together, and the doors were locked because they were afraid of the Jews. And Jesus came. And he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The very thing that God promised through Jesus Christ that he would do, guess what? He kept his promise like he always does. And he gave him the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christ follower here this morning, the moment that you came into relationship with Jesus Christ, he gave you his Holy Spirit. He gave you his Holy Spirit to empower you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to convict you, and to point you toward Jesus Christ all the time. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do that in your heart and your life? Jesus changed this stuff in a major way. How we relate to God was changed forever in Jesus Christ. Now you would think for the disciples and for us at this point that because Jesus changed everything, that everything from this point on was up and to the right, right? You would think that now that they knew there were major changes, Jesus told them, now there's a whole bunch more. I don't have time, and we're almost out of time, to go into them all. But there's all these changes, and the Holy Spirit is now with them. And so you would think that their life was perfect, and everything worked out exactly the way it should. Right? Right? Come on, you can say it. No, it didn't. Come on, be honest with me. Is your life working out that way? Let's be honest. No, it's not. Let, let me read this passage to you and, and we'll finish with this. John chapter 21. 
the end of the book. Here it is. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, I want you to understand something that in the book of Mark, chapter 14 and chapter 16, Jesus said that this was going to happen, okay? This isn't just some random thing. The disciples were there. Jesus shows up. He told them that he would meet them in Galilee. And so the disciples, after Jesus had departed, had made their way to Galilee. They were there on purpose because Jesus told them that's where he would meet them. He revealed himself to them this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, Zebedee's sons, and the two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them, and we're coming with you, they told him. They went out, got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. And when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. Now let's stop here just for a minute. I want you to get the picture. There are all kinds of things that are said about this event, from Peter was living in sin and he went fishing, to they needed food, so they went fishing, to they were waiting for God, so they went fishing. Let me tell you what Scripture says. They went fishing. Okay, that's what the Bible tells us. We don't know their heart attitude when they went fishing. We know that Jesus told them that he would meet them in Galilee. We know that these guys were all fishermen. We know that fishermen don't sit still. They're busy. They work all the time. They're always doing something. And so for what other reason, whether, whether they got tired of waiting for Jesus, we don't know that. We just know that that night they decided to go fishing. We don't know. There are people who say, well, Peter was going back to his old life. He may have been. We don't know that. But we know that that night they all went fishing. And the next morning, Jesus was standing on the shore waiting for them. So let's pick it up again. But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called out to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I skipped down in the passage. Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, he, the Lord said to him. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? Then feed my sheep, look after my sheep. And Jesus does this to him three times. Do you love me, Peter? Do you really love me? If you do, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus comes to Peter and he says, look, are you in? Are you in, Peter? And I think John ends the book of John this way for a reason. Because I think this is our heart so often, folks. We become followers of Jesus Christ and Jesus shows us a radical change the way he did in the book of John. Where Jesus looks at us and he says, look, your life will no longer be the way it was. It's going to be completely different. I need you to die to self. I need you to serve others. I need you to let my Holy Spirit, the very person of God, be the one in control of your life and tell you what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And I need you to be in the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to live in you and, being, and producing fruit because you're so with me. And at the very start, folks, often, like the disciples, we're like, yes, we're in God. We're going to do it. And then for whatever reason, we go fishing. And like I said, I don't know the reason why they did what they did. And I don't know the reason why you always do what you do or even why I often do the things that I do. 
But it's easy for us to get distracted and pulled away from what God has asked us to do. And so I want to, I think John ends this way. He says, look, in our humanity, do you love God? Do you really love God? If you do, (laughs) then feed his sheep. Do you really love God? Because it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to do other things. It's so easy to live life our own way. But if you really love God, then share his love. Give it away. So Christ follower, I want to end with this this morning. He's changed your life. He's done a work in you that no one else could do. He did something in your heart that you couldn't do on your own. Do you love him? Do you love him? then be the Christ follower he asked you to be. Then be all in. Father, would you grant us the courage of heart to continue to say yes to you? Thank you for the the reminder from the book of John this morning. (laughs) By sending your son, you not only gave us a way to have our relationship renewed and restored with you, which is so huge, so incredibly awesome. But you also gave us purpose and you gave us meaning. And it's so easy for us as humans to lose sight of it, to lose focus, to get distracted. So God, continue to pull us back. Help us to be all in for you as disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us to love and serve those that you bring our way. Oh God, help us not to miss it. Help us to yield our hearts to you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, you're dismissed.